It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in. It is the third and final hour on Monday. And when that happens, when it's 11 a.m. on Monday, you know what that means. It's time for the Rolling Stones to make a little bit more money in royalties. Because it's time to turn on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Good morning. And they say I'm not a capitalist. Good luck, Mick and uh, Keith. <laughs> uh, so I, I wonder what happens too when, uh, when you know, when eventually Mick Jagger will pass on. Keith, okay. Rich, Keith Richards will never die. But when Mick Jagger <laughs> passes on, how are they going to divide that up when you have one guy who's still alive and then the, the estate of the other one collecting all those royalties? Keith, but Keith will be like Ma preserved in some sort of uh, embalming fluid. You, you know how like, yeah, you go to some of those churches and they have like, you can look under glass. Like he'll be in one of those, but he'll just still be alive. Like you'll see him smoking a cigarette in it. Uh, anyway, so uh, we are going to be talking about a lot of the things that have been going on uh, around the city this week. Uh, and, of course, I definitely want to get into your column about the Greater New Bedford Vogue Tech student. But uh, certainly the news today, uh, Councillor Burgo uh, putting out a statement, a press release, his response to Mayor Mitchell's letter uh, with the vetoes. And I want to get kind of your take on what Mayor Mitchell's vetoes felt like to you because the language was very strong in the letter that accompanied them uh the way that he went after the council for basically giving them a, a, an education and what their job is supposed to be and of course council president morad took exception to that uh when we spoke to her on friday and so did councilor burgo today is this more of the, is it is this that divide growing between the two sides yeah so i thought the mayor was right in in vetoing all three and i thought that his message that, that this was an abrogation of the council's responsibility was exactly right where i thought he went a little bit too far was when he and i i am concerned as i've written about these monthly meetings of the council where they have a quorum that this had all been done um outside the council chambers i i don't i'm not sure he had the proof of that yet i do think that that it, it probably is a lot of communication going on um, among the councilors, and it, it may not go on all at a quorum at once, but so-and-so com- uh, communicates with Councilor A, then they communicate with Councilor B, then they communicate with Councilor C, and that's a way of getting around it. Like, you know, I do think that there was a lot of, of, of stuff that looks like there's very little discussion on the council floor. These three ballot questions come up, they are debated, and they are put on the ballot all in one meeting. They all have the same three sponsors. They say they didn't communicate with each other. I take them at their word, but there was more than one way to communicate you know, directly or indirectly. You know, you can talk out loud, say, I'm thinking of doing this. Well, if you're thinking of doing that, maybe I'll think about doing this. And 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 any way you put it, I thought it was abrogation of the council's responsibility to put ballots that had not been discussed in the community, that had not had a committee process, that had not had public hearings. You know, never mind, no signatures were gathered because of them. On the CPA one, Councilor Morad, to my knowledge, is the only one who says she's getting a lot of complaints Several of the councilors who voted to put it on the ballot said they had received no complaints. Um, so I don't, 
I don't know what is going on here. I, I do think that there is a culture on the council, both from the left and the right, and even in the middle, which I would consider the old political machine, of of tucking it to this mayor. Now, in some respects, he deserves that. He's not a good communicator, but I just think it's dysfunctional government. And, you know, despite the protestations that of Councilor Morad that she is meeting once a week with him now, she's not discussing what she's doing with him at those meetings because she did not tell him she was thinking of putting the CPA or the four-year term. term. Councilor Burgo did not tell him he was thinking of putting the housing thing they say, well, he doesn't tell us, and that's fair criticism, but it's just more dysfunction. It's more dysfunction of tit for tat, and I, I just really have had enough of it on both sides. I, I, and I should have asked her on Friday. I did ask her about the meetings that she's having with the mayor and the discussion she's having with the mayor, but I should have asked her when she said uh, that in, in her response that she gave me to the veto letter, she said, you know, I, I don't know that we can continue on if this is the, the tone and the language he's going to use. Uh, she said, you know, she has doubts about whether or not they can continue on with, with working together. And I should have asked her, like, is were you just looking for the, the, the reason to end it? Yeah. How, how badly does she want to continue on? This is a person she hasn't spoken to for two years be- before she took the office of president. That's why I think it was very irresponsible for the other councillors to make her president when they know she doesn't talk to the mayor. That's how much they hate him also. And then she takes the job and she doesn't tell him about a major thing she's thinking of doing. And then she objects to his tone in responding to it, which I think was a little bit over the top. And then she says, I'm not going to talk, you know, hints that she's not going to talk to him anymore. It's just total politics. It's total baloney. I think the people in the city know it. You know, she can make all the sugary comments she wants about, you know, what she's doing. I think people get it. And I I think it's disappointing. So I I get the point of wanting to have, you know, public discourse on these questions before they make it, you know, before they vote on it. I understand wanting to have the committee discussions, wanting to have public input, all of that stuff. But. The characterization of – so you and I are both on the city council. We can't have a meeting once a week where we talk about some of the things that we're planning on doing. I mean I see that as being part of the job, right? Well, you can. You can, but you can't have a quorum at that, right. at that meeting. So, and one of the ways about getting around the quorum, which Morad was doing before, was taking polls. Tell me how much you want to cut the uh, the water and sewer budget by. Tell me how much you want to cut the APA money by. And then she averages it out and – makes a motion on the council floor. That's a poll, which has been ruled illegal, of a quorum. Um, I think there are, I, I expect them to, to talk amongst each other, but I expect them to replicate that talk on the council floor, and that's not what they're doing. Right. It's fine for them to t- talk about e- with each other. It's, time for, it's fine for them to even coordinate with each other, as long as there isn't a quorum. But you can't then go into the council floor and say, this is all coming up just out of the blue here, you know, and without saying exactly what you're doing, like, you know, Councillor Gomes and, and I think this is a good idea. Um, I, I, I object to that referendum on, on a whole bunch of issues. Like, I think there are all kinds of referendums you can ask, not the least of which is term limits for the city council, which I do actually hear a lot of talk of in the city, especially in election years. We get a lot I, of phone calls on I it. Don't, I don't hear a lot of talk about for your mayoral term. Now you can say, oh, well, the, the term limits is the actual re-election. But when you only have to win one of five seats on the council, it's not really, it's, it's, it's a name recognition race to, to a large extent. And that's the problem with the at-large races. I think the at-large is a good thing to, for someone to have that whole picture. But several of those at-large councils, I don't think they could ever win a two-person race. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't think they could. Uh, so, 
you know, I think term limits, I think when you've been on the council for 20 years, in the case of Councilor Morad, 30 years in the council of, case, case of Councilor Gomes, I think you've had your chance, you've contributed, you've worked hard. Thank you very much. The city appreciates it. Both councils have done a lot of good things. But if you're going to put the four-year mail term, put the term limits on the, on the, um, on the ballot, too. So I know that you, you did take exception to something that Council President Morad said when it came to the way that she was characterizing the discussions that were going on. Yeah, so this is what I think is political machinations that a lot of people object to. So as a journalist, I got a tip from a reputable person, a former office holder in the city, who told me that Councilors uh, Pereira and uh, um, uh, Burgo were meeting with Councilor Morad once a week. I did what a responsible journalist would do. I checked, I, I checked to see if that was true and verified it. Both counselors told me no. I never put it in my column because once I had a he said, he said, I didn't think it was worth putting in the column because I had no, not enough evidence yet to put it anywhere. Then I heard Councilor Moray come on the radio and she puts it on the record and then criticizes me for dealing in rumor. All I did was what a journalist does. Someone gave me a tip, a reputable person, I'm not going to reveal my source, of course, but, you know, and I chased it down. When I, when I talked to Councillor um, uh, Burgo about that, he seemed to take it lightly and didn't laugh about it. Councillor Pereira seemed to take it a little more seriously. But whoever must have told Councillor Morad about it because there's no way for her to know about that conversation, which took right away by way of text, than through one of the councillors telling her. They made it public. I did not make it public. Well, actually, Councillor Morad made it public. Uh, but if you want to question whether those counselors are talking to Councilor Morad, but they clearly, you know, one of them at least, clearly repeated that uh, text message that I had with them, which was really just an attempt to verify something, because if they were meeting with her once a week and having dinner, you know, that's not a quorum violation, but I think the public would like to know that, they, that they're collaborating that closely. I will uh, I will lead into this question then. Uh, are you going to go tomorrow night to the uh, to the uh, Committee on Appointments and Briefings that wants to have us speak as members of the media or uh, wants to have us present as members of the media? I am not going to go to that. I, I just think that's more of – I understand that, that that motion has been on there for a couple of years and now they're bringing it back for some reason. Um, I, I, I just – I don't regularly go to the council meetings. I, lot of, I watch a lot of them on, on cable. Um, I don't. I don't see anything that is. I mean, it, they're discussing what we already know that there's a crisis of coverage. I, I think it's better than it was a couple of years ago, but it's not as good as it could be. I think we're, all of us in the local media are working toward that. It has to do with the business model of of media and a lot in the internet and a lot of other things. But um, you know, in, in, in all honesty, um, the city council is not where I would go to for a serious discussion of that. You know, I, I think that there are people in journalism who are very concerned about it. Um, uh, I'm more concerned about these meetings that are taking place in restaurants once a, a month because I don't think you can have a quorum. And the last one did have a quorum and consistently do that and not drift into council business. I, I just don't, you know, I, what are they going to do every month? Talk about the weather for, for, for two hours? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, it just doesn't seem credible to me. I mean, I know, I know, and I disagree with you on it. I feel like it can be, a, I would not want to talk about work if I was out with everybody. But they have you know? to, they are required when they have a quorum and they have advertised it, to let any member of the public be in a place where they can sit and hear them. Now, Councilor Murray came on and said, well, if somebody wants us to get a table near us and get a good listening device, no, no, they are required to be able to hear it without a listening device. You have to be able to see and hear that meeting. And it's not on the restaurant owner. It's on the on the counselors to provide that. 
Now, if they want to have a function room and do that meeting, and then everybody can who wants to be within hearing and, and seeing distance can see it. It's not like a trust us, we're being honest. Actually, the, the state has ruled that it is a trust us, we're being honest thing. I don't think that's a good interpretation of the law, but um, anybody that could prove that they were discussing otherwise, it's just, just an attitude of the counselors to go right up to the edge of the law and say, oh, we're not stepping over. We don't know you're not stepping over unless we can hear you and see you for those whole two hours. Well, I'm going to go to the meeting tomorrow. We, uh, I actually told Adam Bass I'm not going to have him cover it because I don't feel like it's a good thing to make us the story. But I am, uh, I am interested in seeing, and certainly from a talk perspective, it'll be, uh, it'll be something worth discussing. But I, I feel like if you could beat up on the media for an hour uh, in a previous meeting a couple of weeks ago without us being there present, then I kind of want to see what you're going to say. Yeah, well, well, attacking the media goes back a long way. Sparrow Agnew uh, used to call us the nattering nabobs of negativism. It's a, a time-honored tradition going all the way back to, to, to the founding fathers of attacking the media. If they want to do that, then they have it at it. Like, you know, I don't how much attention that I want to pay for it. I, I pay attention to it. I do think that the issue of lack of coverage of the media is a serious issue, and there are lots of people who have talked about it in this town and towns across the country as the business models have changed, and it's, they have not really solved how to do that and, in, in the Internet age. And I'm hoping that's really what the council is looking for. They're just looking for an on-the-record discussion as to why things have changed. That's all, and that's what I'm hoping it'll be. I just I have a feeling that it's... It's gonna. I have a feeling, even though you won't be there, your name will be brought up quite a bit. Yeah, my, 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 well, actually, they don't usually mention my name. Although last week she did mention my name on on an ear as she brought up a rumor. <laughs> uh, uh, so if they mention my name, they, you know, they usually refer to me without naming me. Um, uh, it's fine. I'm a big boy. I, I, I buy ink by the barrel. I'm, I'm subject to being criticized. <laughs> All right. Why don't we take our first break? When we come back, we'll talk about some other issues as well. But if you want to call in 508-996-0500, we'll be back in just a few moments with Jack Spillane. Stay tuned. Talk with Jack Spillane as we are turning on the light. Of course, you can read his work at newbedfordlight.org, which we're going to get into in just a moment. But right now we have a phone call. 508-996-0500. You are on with Jack Spillane. Hello. Hi, Tim and Jack. Uh, good to hear you both. Good morning, Catherine. How um, are you? Hi, Catherine. Hi. Well, thanks. Um, I've been thinking for quite some time, and I think I've said it online, that, you know, I think the thing we need to do is, is as one of you just said uh, a few minutes ago, um, setting term, getting term limits set for uh, city council positions. So my question is, what is the procedure, or can you direct me to, uh, for creating and submitting that type of petition uh, so that it can be, uh, item can be put on the ballot? Well, it would be a big lift. I mean, I think there are two ways to get things on the ballot. The council can put them on directly, as they did a couple of weeks ago, or you can gather petitions, and you get the petitions, right. and then you, I, I forget how many it is. That's the way that the four-year term originally got on the ballot, is that people gathered petitions. I think the CPA... Right. So do you know where I can see a copy of that or talk to somebody who was I, part of it? So? I would recommend just calling the elections office directly, and they'll they'll be able to probably provide you with sample uh, sample petitions, and they'll be the ones that you'll want to coordinate okay. everything with. Yeah, and if the elections okay. office if the elections office can't do it because sometimes um, it can be an uphill battle there, um, I think the city solicitor's office could do it. Um, you know, you may have to. Um, uh, you know, it can be hard to get information in this city sometimes. The solicitor's office, the elections office, um, uh, the mayor's office in this case might be interested in helping you because of of the way this has played out. They're not always interested in helping you. Um, okay. 
but it's it, you know, I mean you you just have to keep digging Catherine to find out how to do an initiative um petition it's it's not an easy thing to do um the ones in the past that have succeeded usually had groups that formed to do it because it's, it's I think it's thousands of signatures Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I understand that it would need to be a, a concerted effort on the part of several people. I understand that. Um, but okay. Well, I think that's where time should be spent, and, and I've got some, so I, I think I'll see what I can do. Well, I can give you the elections office phone number right off the top of my head. Okay. It's five zero eight nine seven nine fourteen twenty. That's why I remember oh, it, because really? it's fourteen twenty. Yeah. Yes, and, and even, oh, and even <laughs> after. Oh, life is full of ironies, isn't it? Okay. And I believe this would be a change to the city charter. So even after you um, get a place on the ballot, I think that state legislators would then have to convince the um, whole legislature to do what's called the home rule petition, petition yeah. to change the charter. So it is a big I'm battle, sorry, to but change the charter to do what? I'm sorry, I missed so, part of what you said. No, he, what he's saying is, so they would have to do a home rule petition in order for this to be changed. So you would have to get the ballots, collect the ballot, uh, collect the signatures, get it on the ballot, have the people approve it. Then the state legislature would have to approve the change to to the city's charter, and then the governor would have a chance to veto that. And, so. and, and that's the case with the council petition too. The, the, at the end of the process, after the referendum is over, the legislature still has to get involved and do a home rule petition to change the city charter on on any of these things and i'll point out that the ones that are on there are just non-binding so then uh, depending on what the council wants to do you would have to um go through a whole other process of a binding petition that that's why a lot of people look at this and think it's just political to drive a vote against the mayor from the left the right and in the middle right oh no uh, yeah I, I agree um but that is how the the uh the uh the change from two to four years happened with the mayor all of this process you're describing that's how it happened Yes, yes, there was mm-hmm. a committee. Okay. There was a committee um, uh, to, to do this, and the, the argument was that with a two-year term, the mayor is often very political, is always eyeing the next election, always raising money. In a four-year term, he could make a decision that may be unpopular, but was in the best interest of the the city. And I think that that's proven right, and and I think that's why the council and and, and the old political machine in the Bedford, and a lot of this is the old political machine, in my opinion, yeah. hates it. Yeah. Well, if it, if it, you know, since it happened uh, in one case that there was a change made, then you know maybe we can get this change made. Well, I applaud you for uh, for taking it into your own hands. And Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give it a try. I'll All see right. what I can do. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. And if you want to call in, 508-996-0500, or you can send in an app chat message on the WBSM app. And I want to, you know, take a moment here to step away from council stuff, although it might still work its way in here a little bit when it comes to uh, the eventual appointment of whoever will be on the Voketech board. But you have a column this week at NewBedfordLight.org where you spoke to a freshman at Greater New Bedford Voketech who got in through the lottery process but wouldn't have gotten in through the, the formal application process and the the um, requirements and restrictions that they have for admissions into Greater New Bedford Voketech. And as you point out in this column, this student has benefited greatly from being at that school and being in the vocational educational environment as opposed to the traditional educational environment. It just kind of, if you can talk to us a little bit about how all this came together. Yeah, the, this kid um, just moved my heart. He uh, was a kid that had a lot of challenges. He was in trouble in middle school. He was getting D's and F's. He was um, uh, um, uh, disciplined for fights, uh, 
mouthing off to teachers and um, he was in the Shannon grant program. You know, the Shannon is, an at, uh, is a program for at-risk kids, kids that are in danger of violence, of um, drifting into gangs. And he um, was encouraged to apply to the Vote Tech because they had those 65 seats, only 65 out of 565 last year. And he applied and his name uh, was picked in the lottery. And so he and I imagine several others were able to get into Vogue Tech where they wouldn't have been gotten in the last uh, 10, 15 years because of the school's movement to this high emphasis on grades, attendance, and uh, lack of disciplinary problems. And he's doing better there. He, he still has a long ways to go. He's getting C's and B's. His attendance is, 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 is markedly improved. Uh, not perfect yet, from what I understand. But um, it just is an example of we are deciding at the age of 13 and 14 years old that kids um, do, do not deserve to have the same opportunity for education as other kids. And the, the, the bottom line is that everybody in New Bedford wants to go to the Vogue Tech now. And a lot of that has to do with the perceived violence at New Bedford High School. I'm not saying that that actually is the case, but, but perceptions. Um, I, I will mention that the LGBTQ kids I, I talked to recently at New Bedford High School all love the high school. And so there are good things to be said about it. But the, the Vogue Tech has carved out this, this system where it's just the opposite of the old vocational schools, where, the, where they just have basically taken the kids with the least problems, the best grades, the best attendance, the fewest discipline problems. And that's who they're accepting. And a lot of kids who would like to have shop careers are not being served. And, and, and you know, and I feel like, okay, you like, I read the column and I I would kind of want to you know slap that kid upside his head a little bit with some of the comments that he made about why he feels the way that he does. Like, okay, grow up. Like, I, I don't like it because I felt like the teachers were disrespectful to me. Shut up, kid. Go to school. Like, that's, that's the way that a lot of people are going to look at that. But what they're not looking at it is they're not looking at why those issues might be there, why he might feel that. And why he might feel that might have – it might not actually be any real disrespect. It's the fact that there's a disconnect. You know, and, and, and again, and I, I'm, I'm speaking of, I'm saying as somebody who reads this and has that gut reaction, I'm not saying that that's how I felt. Okay, but I, I don't, I don't know what you were like in high school. You know, I had a lot of challenges. You know, and I came from a stable family, and I think that a lot of kids are in emotional upheaval at that age. Uh, they, they don't know, know what to do, and they, and they, and they act out a lot. I'm not defending his acting out. I'm just saying that kids are not disposable. They're kids. And to have a lack of equal access to education because they're not perfect kids, you know, it's not what school is about. We have always, you know, obviously there are things that you can do that are acting so violently, that's so over the top that you, you have to be taken out of school and you have to be put But you, you pointed out those kids wouldn't be in the lottery. Like the kids, the kids who aren't going to fulfill the requirements of passing on to the ninth grade won't be eligible to be selected. Yeah, I, I think... That, that most kids at that age still have a chance. And, you know, I, I mean, uh, I, I, I got um, an article from uh, someone who read the um, column I wrote about um, vocational training that is taking, in state, taking place in state prisons so that when people come out of the prisons that they can get um, uh, a useful trade that will allow them to make an honest living. So some of these kids are headed for the same area now 
why not educate them? The purpose of high school is not to have a perfect environment where all the good kids, you know, and I don't even use the term good, all the kids with the fewest problems are in one school and all the kids with the other, all the problems are in the other school. That's not the purpose of high school. The purpose is to educate everybody. And if your behavior gets so bad that it can't be tolerated, then, then you, um, then you, then you are removed and put into an alternative school or whatever. But I think that, you know, there's a wide latitude of kids that have, you know, not uh, great academic students, not always great attendance. I mean, these kids that are coming out of Votech are not actually ready in many cases, as we read in Colin Hogan's article, to enter the workforce. They still need a lot of training. But to totally take these kids many of whom would prefer vocational education to the academic setting and say you're not eligible because you had this problem and that problem. It just seems wrong to me. And it is not the way that vocational schools traditionally functioned. They took all those kids traditionally. Now they say, oh, we're voc tech schools. We're very technical. But you know what? Everything is technical nowadays. Everything has computer technology. And most people of average intelligence can rise to it. So I, I just think that this is this has really become like a – Almost like a specialized school within the public school system that doesn't that doesn't have access to everybody, and that just strikes me as wrong. You have a quote in there from Mike Watson, the superintendent director, uh, about something that he said in a meeting with the school committee, where he said, "We're not going to provide." Well, let me just read this from your piece. Superintendent Michael Watson told the committee that they absolutely wanted to make sure that next year's lottery, which is when they're going to be going to this 50-50 lottery, which we can talk about, doesn't allow kids into Votech who, quote, have a history. We're not going to provide blowtorches and wrenches and hammers for students who have suspensions for fights and things like that. I, I hear that. I, I think that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard an educator say. Yeah, and you hear that over and over again. I did get um, an email from a person who teaches at the Vogue Tech and said that that, is, that that statement is said over and over at the Vogue Tech as if every kid who ever had a fight can't be trusted you know, with instruments that they're going to have to use in, in, in many walks of life, whatever they do, even if they went to prison or, or whatever. Um, I mean, if a kid acts out in class... You know, with those implements, then then you, you 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 remove them. But that's not most kids that have had, you know, whatever meltdown they had in seventh grade or eighth grade, who still graduated, you know, are are, are eligible. And I've heard from at least one teacher that 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 is is just a canard that they that they that they bring out and say, oh, we can't have anybody that's dangerous. Those kids have always been at folk tech. It's only recently that those kids were not at folk tech. Right. You mentioned that it was only about 20 years ago that the shift started. So think about all the people that went to Vogue Tech for all those years and, and New Bedford Vogue before that who had those same problems but yet never picked up a blowtorch and attacked yeah. a teacher with it. And if, and if a kid's problems are so profound that they that, that they have to be in an alternative school, obviously they wouldn't get into Vogue Tech. But that's not most kids that have had minor disciplinary problems of, 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 of whatever reason. And it also doesn't mean that the kid who's had no disciplinary problems whatsoever doesn't one day pick up a blowtorch and set somebody on fire either. Yeah. I think the... Um the section that, that Superintendent Mike Watson, who I think is trying to balance both sides, but I think he's coming down on the side that most of the Vogue Tech School Committee comes down on, and that, and that is keeping the school a special school, a school where, where, where parents whose kids don't even intend to have vocational careers go to get away from the New Bedford High School, and then they go to college. They actually have a higher college um, matriculation rate than, than the average high school does now. So, you know, I, I think what he, what he was – this th- section 37H – applies to kids who have um, been violent, 
um, uh, had a weapon at school and, and, and other things. And certainly you have to take a look at that. But I don't think it should be a blanket prohibition against them getting in because I think a lot of them – have problems at that age and they can they can surpass those problems you know it does it does mean that the school is going to have to um deal with kids that have more challenges than they haven't had in the past and it's gotten easier to be at folk tech because they they just leave all those kids to new bedford high school let's take a phone call here 508-996-0500 you are on with jack spillane hello hey how's it going it's on your mind Uh, quick question when did voke become the go-to school I re- when I went to uh, Vogue, uh, we were known as Vogue Tech Rejects. That's where all the losers went. That's where all the kids that, you know, couldn't, uh, didn't want to go to college, quote unquote, went. When did it become the go-to school? So what I'm told is that when the MCAS came in in 1993, they said, Vogue originally said, please exempt us from the MCAS because we have only half-day academic and we really can't be expected to compete. And the powers that be in the legislature said, no, we're not going to exempt you because we want those kids to have the same reading, writing, and science skills as everybody else. At that point, they began to emphasize grades. And Watson, to be fair, at the meeting said he wanted to go away from grades, but he was still stressing attendance, which to me is very related to grades because you can't miss a lot and, and do well in grades. And they, they began to um, use grades and attendance as a way of getting a lot of these kids, cause, because two things coincided. Number one, they had to do better with MCAS. And number two, parents realized that a college education was no longer the guarantee of a good job anymore than it once was. As people majoring in English, like I did, or history or political science, couldn't get jobs anymore in the um, office world or wherever. And those parents realized, jeepers, the guy down the street whose kid became a plumber or an electrician has a marketable skill and my kid doesn't and he did all the right things and went to college. So now you're having kids going through getting the skill but hedging their bets still wanting to go to college to advance, you know, even beyond. And so that leaves the kids, you know, who don't get in at the high school and the worst part is they have a prohibition prohibition of teaching the same courses at the high school because the high schools would say, okay, we'll begin to teach automotive. We'll begin to teach um, uh, plumbing or whatever. And no, they can't because the the Votech has a cap on them being the only place in this region that can teach those things. Again, I think, which is an artificial constraint. And this is supposed to be a free economy. It's an artificial constraint on how many kids you train. And and Oh, no, go ahead. Here's, here's my concern. My concern is we're we're always going to encounter these issues at at a vocational school because here's the problem. The problem is kids aren't getting in, right? So they say it's not fair and equitable. However, there's only per shop there's only allowed certain slots. So if then these kids because they don't um you know, because they don't academically get the grades, right? And they don't get their first choice. Then it's going to be, oh, well, it's not fair because I wanted to go into plumbing and they gave me welding because I didn't meet that criteria. So where does it end? It's always going to be an issue because every shop only has a certain number of slots. So it's always going to be that, oh, it's not fair. I wanted electrical. I got uh, plumbing or I wanted plumbing, I got this. The, the, the issue's still going to be there because the way it's set up is when you go to Vogue, your grades, your attendance, even if you do get in, uh, is what matters in terms of getting into the shop that you want. 
I so think that I think the call is down the road. I think the call makes a fair point that there are limited slots in in, in in limited shops, but what's going on now cannot continue because you're, you're giving you're taking a whole class of kids, kids who are not academically minded, kids who are not don't have a good record as of eighth grade, and you're eliminating them from all the shops, not just the the ones that they might might most prefer. Yes, there are limited slots for limited shops, but you're taking a whole class of kids and just relegating them to no opportunities in their careers, even if it's not their first choice. It's just not a fair system. And and the Massachusetts Constitution does guarantee equal access to education. So I, I, I don't think you can just, you know, just just be taking the cream of the crop for, for, for one school. It just is not fair. But I don't think, I don't think that's the case about take, because here's, again, playing uh, devil's advocate. So we get a kid that, you know, might be, you know, his grades might not be to that point. His attendance was a little bit off, but whatever. They're going to give him a chance, right? No, he they don't. This, no, no, but say they did. I'm saying, like, let's play devil's advocate. Like, say they changed the uh, the the criteria to get into Vogue, right? This kid gets in. He wants to study electrical, but he gets plumbing. You think that kid's going to be invested in going to Vogue anymore or to learning the plumbing trade? No. Right. Or, or what he <laughs> now could you're do. Taking, now you're taking somebody else's spot who wanted to be and would have been dedicated in that plumber's position and you're giving it to somebody that got their second choice and they, they're not even interested. And but, they're probably but, just, you know what I mean? So I, I, I agree, you know, we need to give every kids today, you know, you give them a little bit of, um, you know, uh, the proper management, whatever you want to call it. And yes, they do have the ability to change. But my my problem is we're just kicking the can down the road. I, I, I agree that minute, like, you know, it's not fair, quote unquote. But again, these are kids who are working hard to get to where they want to be. And, you know, it's not the, my thing is if we allow these kids, say we give them an opportunity, but they don't get their shop they want, then there's no buy-in. Yeah, but and you, you, keep repeating, you, to, you keep repeating that, 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 that they're going to be miserable if they don't get the shop they want. You know what? Some of them might be, but the majority of them will be like the rest of us. I mean, I, I would like to be at the New York Times, but I'm perfectly happy being at the New Bedford Light. Tim, you might want to be at NBC, you know, but you're, you're perfectly happy, I assume, being where you are. I don't think all these kids, just because they don't get their first shop, are going to say, I'm not going to do anything, and they still might be happy to have a, a a second or a third shop that, that yeah, they, maybe they don't like it as much, but... but, but and especially especially the kids like who are going there just to go to Vogue Tech and are planning on going to college, the shop doesn't matter to them, really. Yeah. And you know what? The biggest thing when I talked to this kid was the six days of academics and the six days of shop, because I just got the impression that he was bored out of his mind with academics all the time. It just wasn't his thing. And he looked forward to those six days of shop. If I can just get through six days. Yep. Keeps him from having so, those absences. You know, working with my hands, you know, being, you know, being in a more um, non-academic environment. And on all these kids who are not academically minded to begin with, being, being, you know, just... Um, called out of, of of this school just doesn't make sense sure caller i gotta hold you there because i'm up against the break but thank you for the call and uh, we'll take more of your calls 508-996-0500 we'll be right back with jack's blaine in just a few moments come back in uh i want to give you a chance jack too uh, looks like there's going to be a, a chat coming up uh on, on april 3rd 
with uh, with Representative Hendricks? Yes, I'm, I'm very excited about this one. I, uh, state Representative Chris Hendricks is uh, one of the, the probably the most uh, new fresh face in the state legislature. He did what a lot of people said is impossible to do. He took out a 20 plus year incumbent, almost a 30 year incumbent in Bob Casera, I think maybe a 30 year. And um, he did it by going door to door. The same thing that we've seen Paul Haro and, and, and Sean Oliver do. Um, he's a progressive councilor. He represents the new minority majority district um, uh, that goes roughly from the near north end down to the downtown and some of the parts of the west end. Um, he's an interesting guy. He has a lot of uh, interesting positions. He's kind of um, he, he tends to tell you what he thinks. Yeah, not, not always, but so I, I admire that. I think um, in recent years I've seen a lot of the state legislators be very very careful about what they say publicly and. Um, you know, the, as we all know, the, if you think the city council is a closed to a shop, the state legislature is is the city council on steroids for how how they do things in secret up there. But uh, Chris will will genuinely tell you tell you what he's up to, and I think he's an interesting guy. I think it'll be a, an interesting program. Yeah, he. I always enjoy he comes on South Coast tonight quite a bit, and I always enjoy hearing him with them because he, like you said, he is kind of unfettered, unfiltered, and uh, and he's he hasn't. Well, and it's hard to say this with with the state legislature because they really are technically every men and women, really. Like you know, they're not they're not elitists. They're not people that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They they are kind of people doing a a, a government job for a blue collar salary. I would say. Ah, I, I disagree with that a little bit. And, I, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at what they get paid for their straight out salary. I'm not looking at everything else. Yeah, a lot but, of them get extra money. Of course, for the um, chairmanships and the assistant sure. chairmanships and but things like that, he's he's maintained that blue collar mentality even amongst people that might not be blue collar around them. You know what I mean? He he he's a lawyer, but you know what I'm saying? He he you you just say he kind of I think he understands what the people in the city are going through, and he he can vocalize that to the people up there on Beacon Hill. He, he, de- um, he definitely is a guy who identifies with um, people of moderate means yes. and, and low income, and he's not afraid to fight for them. I, he's not the only one. I think um, you, you to- said it better than I did. Tony Cabral and Mark Montigny both have a, a good record on that. I think you have some more conservative members like um, uh, Chris Markey, um, I, Paul, Paul Schmidt and Bill Strauss, about like halfway in the middle, I would say. But. I think I wasn't hearing that from Bob Cazera toward the end of his tenure, and I think that's what kind of appealed to people, yeah. is he seemed like he had just gotten lost in the bureaucratic shuffle of everything, yeah. and, and Chris Hendricks seems like a guy who, who can represent the people yeah. uh, more directly. Yeah, and, and, and Chris's district now has changed. It, 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 both Chris and Bob used to have a question it, which is certainly more moderate to conservative um, voter up there. It voted for Trump twice. Um, and now his district has been redrawn to a lot of the precincts that Tony Cabral used to have. And Tony has taken over some of the precincts that Chris Markey used to have. So it's um, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, I, but I think you're right. He, 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 even before he, his district was redrawn, he was a guy more on the progressive side of the ledger. Yeah. For the people. All right. Well, for us, we have to take our final break. So when we do that, we'll come back with Jack Spillane. All right. Welcome back in. We have Jack Spillane here for a few more moments. And then coming up, we will have Bill O'Reilly, followed by Barry Richard, followed by Howie Carr, followed by South Coast Tonight. And tonight, Chris and Marcus will welcome in WPRI's Ted Nisi to the ah, program. So they program. They always have him, uh, whenever they have him come on, it's always a very interesting, very fun program. So yeah. it, it really has become, you know, must listen to radio. I, I love Ted Nisi. He's always an interesting guy. He was on the last time I was on, and, and 
is a good guy to mix it up with. And I and I love the fact that uh, both him and Tim White have so, such a, an affinity for covering things in New Bedford too. So you know, and that's probably something that'll be discussed in tomorrow night's council you know committee meeting about what this you know what the what the challenges are with coverage here. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that that, that, well, that the, well. the council is starting their own Facebook page. So maybe they'll solve that and, and, and do the world according to the council. And they won't have to worry about what the New Bedford Light or the WBSM or anybody else says. They can just put what they what they want on the Facebook page. I'm, I, I, I'm facetiously said this morning, you know, still waiting for that to happen. Like, haven't seen the page yet. It, if you need help, I can show you how to make a Facebook page. It's not that hard. But, um, uh, you know, I'm sure they're still trying to work out who's going to moderate it, who's going to watch the comments, who's going to do the postings, all you that kind of stuff. News according to the New Bedford City Council. I mean, I think they should just start their own media publication. (laughs) (laughs) Or, (laughs) you know what the most popular column will be in that is their restaurant reviews. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) When the whole council goes out together. When when I was at the Santa Times, it was new restaurants that were the the most popular thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, same here. Yeah. But, you know, I used to, you know, I used to write all of those great sports columns that I would write that I thought, you know, somebody's going to email me and argue with me about my take on the Celtics or the Patriots. Never happened. It was only the dine-outs that I got the emails about because that was the thing people read the most every week. Yeah, dine-outs, uh, you know, I did movie movie reviews and um, actually more theater reviews for, for a while with your theater. And uh, I would get a lot of comments on whatever I wrote about your theater. And then I would write political stuff and nobody would say anything. I still say the most letters and emails I ever got on anything was when I put in a dine-out column that restaurants can offer free refills on sodas. It doesn't cost them that much to put one out. I know exactly how much it costs to put one out, and the fact that they charge you two bucks or at the time and they won't put out a refill is a disgrace. And I got all these emails like, you fat ass, how many glasses of soda do you need when you're eating dinner? Yeah. Coffee might be something else, but soda they definitely could do. Yeah, it's it costs about two to four cents mm-hmm. for the average serving of soda, and yeah. they charge you two dollars. So that just tells you all you need to know. Anyway, you know, that's... That's something different. We are out of time, Jack. We have about a minute. Do you want to tell us anything you're working on? or? Yeah, I, th- I think I, I may have something more to say about the um, ballot referendum um, uh, that's coming up this week and um, the, the vetoes. It seems to be the hot issue right now. Um, I, I do hope that the council will just take a step back and think, why are we getting so much pushback? Why does it, you know, if, if we really feel strongly about some questions, let's get some discussion going in the community before we settle on, on them. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of Turning on the Light. If you missed any part of it or any part of the show, you can check us out on podcast on the WBSM app on WBSM.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. And, of course, you can always get everything through our app thanks to our friends over at South Coast Towing. They make it so that you can get all of those great uh, options on the WBSM app for free. Stay tuned for Bill O'Reilly. And then after that, Barry Richard will have you. He will take more of your phone calls, 508-996-0500. Until tomorrow, enjoy every sandwich.